0: Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Christopher Raja. Christopher Raja is the author of plays, essays, and a novel, The Burning Elephant. His memoir, Into the Suburbs, is Christopher's story of leaving Calcutta and beginning a life in Melbourne. Today, Christopher joins me to discuss Into the Suburbs. My name is Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people, and I want to start by acknowledging the traditional owners and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, unceded lands, stolen lands. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast, well, it's all about books, writing, and literary culture. I love sharing books, and I'd love if you could help me help others discover great new Australian books. You can do that by giving us a rating or leaving a comment wherever you listen to the podcast. Those ratings, they help put Final Draft in front of more eyes in the podcast world. It lets more people know we're out there and consequently, that those books are out there. Today on the show... Christopher Raja was 11 years old when his mother and father moved the family from Calcutta to Melbourne in the 80s. The contrast is immediate. From the densely populated streets of Calcutta, he is transported to a world that is almost unbearably quiet. Where previously he had families surrounding him, now even his relatives keep to their manicured quarter-acre blocks. In this new world, Christopher must face down racism and discover new ways of being to make the suburbs of Melbourne into something he can call home. Join me as we discover Christopher Raja's Into the Suburbs. My name is Andrew Popel, and I am joined on the line remotely by Christopher Raja. He is the author of plays, essays, and a novel, The Burning Elephant. Today, we are discussing his memoir, Into the Suburbs. It is Chris's story of leaving Calcutta and beginning a life in Melbourne. Now, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. I want to start, look, I think for many of us, we can only imagine in broad brushstrokes what life in Calcutta might be like. Now, of course, you lived there as a child, you have visited as an adult, but can you evoke for us something of, of the contrast between the metropolis and the suburbs that you come to describe in your in your story?
1: So, Calcutta was where I was born, so in some ways I take it for granted. It was a place, uh, you know, full of bustle and and uh, noise and, and colour, as most people would would probably imagine. Uh, it's also a place that I hold very close to my heart. So it's a place where family, my mother, my da- my father, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins live. And uh, I also went to school there. I went to an old school there called La Martiniere, which is quite a well known school. And my dad was a the headmaster there, and my mom was a, a teacher. So Calcutta was, you know, an, an ordinary, normal place in my eyes because that's all I knew from the age of zero. To 11. Uh, so so when I came to Australia, people would ask me that question. So what was Calcutta like? And I would give them what I just told you, which was a seemingly normal, bland answer. Um, and and they would say, Oh, is, is that is that how you saw Calcutta? And I'd say yes, and, and and then I'd say, But Melbourne. Now let me tell you what Melbourne was like. It was so quiet and strange and confusing and alien.
0: It sounds, it sounds very much like we all grow up with this idea of normal and, and to a certain extent everything becomes uh, a by comparison to that, that base state that we gain as a child. Do you feel like you ever lost that? Yeah. Or it changed?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I feel I've have, I have lost that numerous times. <laughs> I began writing in a sense to find, to find this concept of home and I went and I started to write Search for Home because, you know, growing up in Melbourne and, and Calcutta and spending a lot of time in Alice Springs, I became very interested in this uh, issue of class, belonging, identity, mental health, coming of age. And these were topics that, you know, I had to face as I grew up. But I also saw as I traveled around Australia, went back to India and uh, I started to notice different things. And to come to terms with those different things or themes, I had to write them down.
0: I was intrigued when I came across Into the Suburbs. And this, the, thing, the first thing that struck me, of course, was the title. And, a, you know, a quick Google search of the words into, if you leave into open, it reveals a, a litany of ominous titles into the wild, into the badlands, into the woods, into the breach, into the unknown. Were you conscious of of signalling anything when you named the story?
1: Um, The title came much later, Mm. Uh, so the book had various other titles. So, my latest work, uh, Into the Suburbs, A Migrant Story, uh, which is the other part of the title, started off as a novel and... I was attempting to write a work of fiction. In fact, as late as, as, late as 2019, the book reached the shortlist of five for the Penguin Literature Prize. And they asked me what type, whether it was a memoir or a, or a novel. And so as an unpublished work, I had to make a decision whether, whether this work was a novel. And I decided at the very last minute to change my mind and refo- refocus the book as a memoir, partly to celebrate my parents and my family, who were the inspiration for the book. Uh, I got an agent, Martin Shaw told him that I wanted to change the focus of the novel as a memoir and he submitted it then to a number of uh, uh, publishing houses there was uh, option for for it as a memoir and then uh, UQP got it and then I worked with an editor there who asked me you know who helped me uh, in the process of making it into a into a memoir but this concept of a name, then of course, into the suburbs a migrant story sounded more like a memoir. And and that was that was and we, we, we came to we worked on that as a team with UQP. I
0: was I was really fascinated because uh, well we talked before about the the normalizing of the things that happen in your youth and I, I think a huge proportion of people born in Australia are born and grow up in the suburbs and we take away different impressions of it, and perhaps that says more about me than than any t- any title you could have come up with. That I immediately think of the suburbs as as a place that uh, can be fraught and uh, perhaps a little uh, perhaps a little dangerous in its in its quiet you know seeming conservatism.
1: Uh, for me, there's a certain exotic. for me the ex- the exotic lies in the suburbs. You know, especially Melbourne suburbs. I, I mean, from the contrast between Calcutta and, and Melbourne, I find the exotic lights in Melbourne, in the sub, suburbs of Melbourne, where you uh, look at your neighbor's fence, and it might have a carved lion uh, that, you know, that they carved, you know, or that they were interested in in, in Italy, and they brought this remnant of a, a lion or an eagle, and they've placed it on their suburban fence, as I walked the streets of the suburbs, I would see these things and think, wow, what, what, how do I make sense of this? And to be honest, it took me a long time to see these things in a fresh way. I had to go away from the suburbs. I had to go to our springs and I had to go um, back to India. And I even had to go to Europe to actually see Australia with fresh eyes. So this book's been in the, in the gestation for a long time.
0: Moving to Melbourne and in your early life, you reflect that in Australia it seemed boys were brought up to self-destruct and be reckless. And you identify that in yourself in, in those early years, so you moved to Australia when you were 11, that you took a shift towards rebellion. And I wondered on reflection, do you think that this was something that was in you? In the, in the sort of dislocation of the move? Or is that something cultural in Australian society that you were picking up on?
1: It was very confusing, this, this issue of masculinity, especially when I came to Australia. In India, it's not uncommon to see men holding hands, for example, and showing great affection to each other. And I, not that my father was particularly uh affectionate in the sense of you know touchy feely my family aren't really touchy and feely um, I, I wouldn't describe that but um, but there was a hardness when I first came into the suburbs of Melbourne, especially in the football culture uh, you know in, in high school you had to you had to you had to be a little bit tough and I, I noticed that even um, had an effect on my parents who you know didn 't get fancy jobs that they had in, India when they first came, they had to go and work in factories and you know build up a career. You know, such. So I think there was a certain hard edgedness and a certain roughness. You could call it an egalitarian spirit, or but you know, but, but but it was quite rough. And you know that was exemplified in the football field for me when I would get punched in the back of the head when the umpire wasn't looking, and then I'd react and say he punched me. And uh, I'd give away the free kick because I reacted. In, instead, I, what I learned was I had to show a certain amount of stoicism, hold on to my anger or rage, take the punch, and then maybe get him down the track.
0: I was interested in that, actually, that that stoicism you describe and that it felt like in, in the story you were describing how you were wrestling with this way to to make sense of what was culturally happening to you, but then also make sense of this idea that, you know, there were there were racist I won't even say undertones, there were racist overtones. I mean the racism you describe at school is beyond horrific. You were ridiculed, physically assaulted because of how you looked and just the fact of, of your difference about Australia looking back at that time.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting looking back at the time. So while I was writing the book, I tried to capture an immediacy there is an immediacy of Into into the Suburbs where you you feel like you're in the moment and the narrator is, you know, keeping you there. But um, the fact that the book was written with a lot of um, uh, a gestation period, I have different views now on on that time. And I have different views on, on some of those issues. For example, you know, that overt racism that made me so angry and so sad and so fearful at the time. I now look back and I think, what was really going on there? And who was being racist to me? And I realized that they were migrants too. They weren't Aboriginal. They were foreigners. They were strangers in the strange land themselves. And so there was this inert, uh, I'm sorry, a, a deep, not, not inert, it was a very active, it was a very uh, uncomfortable feeling that everyone seemed to have looking back. As to who really belonged, and it was it was I think their their sense of lack of belonging and was highlighted by my difference, and possibly even my brownness reminded them of the people who actually own this land, which are brown people. This is a land made up of brown people, but I didn't know that when I first came. I thought being brown had been called a boom and the black was uh, indicated I was foreign and different. But now, years and years later, I realize I have more in common with the original inhabitants of the land than I did with the people that made fun of me for being a foreigner in Australia.
0: And it sounds a little bit like what you're describing here is, is an idea that we, we might, what well, we have come to know as, as white fragility and the idea that anything that draws um, a white person, a, do- a person from a dominant culture, out of their, their comfort that they are the normal is is going to become inherently difficult for them and and reactive for them yeah I was really interested in what you said there though about the immediacy that is invested in the novel and I wondered was that something that was held over from when you were working around the idea of this being a novelistic piece of art
1: yes because first and foremost even though I've written a play a novel and a memoir I'm first and foremost a storyteller and and so for me, I'm interested in capturing that, that essence of a story, the element of a story. What is an element of a story? And, and, and they're the topics that I wrestle with. How, how, and, and also, you know, growing up in Calcutta, we're surrounded by stories and storytellers' books. It's a very uh, cultural centre, as is Melbourne, as is Alice Springs. So I've been drawn to places that hold stories very uh, highly. And and that's been that's been something I've been drawn to. But I've also in this process of COVID, I've also been questioning that, and I've been questioning and wrestling with this idea of memory, truth, and language. and And I'm wondering if we can w- whether we can trust our memories, histories, monuments, names, and words any longer. And it's that sort of immediacy that's happening right now that I'm also wrestling and trying to understand. In light of what happened to me in the book, so so that's why I think there are certain things, even though it's even though it's a story told about a teenager growing up in the eighties, nineties of Melbourne, there is an aspect that seems so relevant right now because I wrote it, but now looking back at my own experiences,
0: I think that question of memory is going to become increasingly important, especially as you say in this in this COVID time, because I, I think. In Australia, and you know, I'm I'm a white Australian. I think I can see culturally uh, a sense of looking back and romanticising those times. And um, as we were talking, uh, you know, off air, that um, this idea that we have have lost something in COVID, we can hearken back and sort of trace to a time. You know, the 80s and 70s were meant to be, you know, the pinnacle of pub rock and and this golden era that um, we you know perhaps may feel, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing the antithesis of now, but again, how does memory play tricks on us like that? Because this was, this was by no means the sort of the halcyon days of, of society and culture in Australia. There were many of the difficulties we've already discussed, um, the idea that Australia was coming to terms very much with itself as a nation and a nation made up of people from many different countries.
1: So I was very fortunate, you know, growing up in in the suburbs when an Aboriginal family all of a sudden showed up at my school. And I was probably – how old was I? I I think I was probably 12 or 13, and this great big Aboriginal family showed up in the suburbs uh, from Darwin. And I became quite close to a couple of the brothers. One of them was in my class and the other was older than me. And I write about that. And I write about how, you know, being, being amongst it was quite different to being uh, to hearing about it. So being amongst Aboriginal people was quite different to hearing about it in the classroom, because of course in the classroom and in the history classroom we were told that you know there was this dying race of Aboriginals, mm. and I was thinking to myself, well, people right beside me don't look like they're dying right now. Uh, you know they're fighting to survive, but they're They're alive, just like me, flesh and blood, and walking around. And so I was quite fascinated by that. I was also uh, thinking back, you know, thinking back in in India, um, because I had a different type of education. In India, we have a very different type of school education. Uh, The way we taught history and geography uh, was quite different to the way I was taught history and geography uh, in Melbourne both in primary school and secondary school and I did go to a number of different types of schools in Australia and so I saw some of the differences in, in the education system here and in India we were often taught about the Dravidians who were who were a group of people from the very deep south of Asia who were darker skinned people and who apparently uh, traversed uh, you know out to different continents now I you know there is some there is some conflict as to whether that uh, idea of the Dravidians uh, still holds. But I was familiar with these sort of topics of Aryans and Dravidians from from, from the age of probably six or seven, we were taught this in, in primary school. Mm. And those sort of ideas were not then discussed in Australia. So when I did encounter Aboriginal people, I wondered, you know, are these the Dravidians? Is this, you know, so I had all these questions already in my mind, ready to go.
0: It sounds like again there was a, an element of an attempt to to create a self fulfilling prophecy in the way that we we were taught. I mean, um, you know, I I grew up and went to school in the late eighties, and this idea that the curriculum did not reflect the reality, but perhaps a reality that was a bit of a hangover from uh, early early policies from from invasion to colony. Um, I was wondering though. Um, did you ever were you ever able to reconnect with that family? you describe in the book that there was an incident after a party that the police had to be called and then the family left the area and it's it's not part of the story but did you ever reconnect again as adults?
1: Uh, I tried because remember this is now a memoir so I tried to so in the process of writing about real people but also uh, writing um, I tried as best as I could to uh, protect the people that I was writing about, and I was very conscious that this this was my story mm. and so i didn 't want to extrapolate too much on different people 's uh, experiences I tried to keep it as um, because if I called it a memoir, I could have gone a bit more deeper into some of those relationships mm. um, with 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 all the characters and that was the difference and and I think um, while I was writing a m- memoir uh, that could a different set of unexpected pressures on me when when telling this story. No. so to answer your question, whether whether I connected with them or not, uh, with the number of people in the story, uh, I have some people I'm still in contact with, some people I haven't seen for years, so I've just left it like that, and some people have reached out already, just knowing that I've written this uh, memoir. So it's a it's a mixed bag. I just say, I'll just put it I'll leave it like that.
0: I'm glad you I'm glad you left it like that. It would be an absolutely terrible end of the story if just in the epilogue Chris and X are now friends on Facebook. Oh <laughs> uh, no, the
1: story is much more interesting than that, but I'll leave it at
0: that. There's another book. Um you've you've talked about home in your writing, your search for home, and I I guess the flip of that is exile. And exile is a key theme that you return to in the book. And I wondered what you felt exile meant. Coming to Australia in a country as Australia, we have this, I think, fanatically almost like hypocritical view of inclusiveness. We have this idea that we are an inclusive, egalitarian society, but I feel like that only highlights those people that feel like they've been exiled.
1: The idea of exile uh, grew, my idea of exile grew, and my understanding of the term grew. So, so. So at first I did think of that, you know, whether it was exile from home, as an exile from Calcutta, was I included in Australia? But the more and more i thought about these things, uh, the more and more uh, they they help, but they also uh, started to um, morph into other things. For example, I had I didn't, you know, when when we when we look at these ideas of identity, who we are, you start to wonder, well. You know, I started to ask myself very childish questions. Like, am I really the skin and body? Am I really a brown man? Am I really uh, an Indian? Am I really an Australian? Am I a soul? Am I a spirit? What happens to me when I die? Am I an exile when I die? Am I an exile? Because, of course, being in India, we, we, we also brought up with asking ourselves very spiritual questions. I know that's a, a bit of a cliche, but, you know, uh, religion is a, is, a, is a big part of, of, of growing up there as well for many people. And so I, I then had to uh, look at some of those ideas of religion and, and spirituality and, and then and then looked at the different traditions of, of what it means to be an exile.
0: And and so then from exile to inclusion, I realized actually I want to take a, a, a quick divergence because I, I realize in a story that is essentially about you and your life, it might seem strange to talk about spoilers, but I'm going to change this, this question a little bit because I don't want to reveal – a part, of, a very important part of the the later story, um, but at a at a funeral, you relate overhearing snatches of conversation, including an aunt who responds to her husband's rebuke with, um, she says, "Not all of us can become Australians, however hard we try." And I wondered, reflecting on that, what did you think about this idea that there is a way to? become Australian, that there might be a way to become Australian? And if there is, is it even a particularly desirable thing to be?
1: So this this idea of coming to become an Australian, uh, you know, as much as we try, I've noticed even in in the 30-odd years that I've lived in Australia, that notion of what an Australian is has changed so much in just such a short time. This uh, idea of coming to become an Australian, uh, you know, has, has, has now plummeted. Nearly everyone, when you know, as 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 more and more people are now uh, dealing with the idea of Australia being, uh, you know, not terra and and you know having having had all these different language groups and tribes here long, you know, for time immemorial. And uh, how do we make sense of that? And so, as writers and thinkers and artists, and uh, you know, wrestling with this question, so are politicians and so are other members of the society. And and so this idea of who's an Australian and how do we become an Australian has become really complex now. And so hopefully my work adds to that debate about what it means to be an Australian. Uh, I thought it was also important for me to have written, you know, getting back to that question of um, the title, uh, into the suburbs. I, I felt it was important to go into the suburbs but with a certain amount of humility because there were other names. The the suburbs had various names that, you know, there was the white name, but there were these older names as well, if you did a bit of research. And that's what I was starting to do. I was starting to do a bit of research and then finding that, oh, the suburb I lived in had another name. So it belonged to someone else before. And so this idea of belonging and identity and names and monuments, as I was saying earlier, uh, you know, just even looking at the statues and thinking, oh, why is that person being celebrated? Or why is that statue, so once I, you know, living in Alice Springs, for example, there was a name of a, a, a street, and I had done some research on as to whose, whose name, you know, that man, and and I discovered that he killed all these Aboriginal people, and I thought, well, why is his name on the street? And you know, these things sort of close to my heart because even in India, you know, my own city was called Calcutta, and now spelled Kolkata, so. There's this constant fluidity with names and identity and inclusion, and and even the airport um, in Calcutta was called Dum Dum Airport, and now it's called Subash Chandra Bose Airport. And if you look into the history of Subash Chandra Bose, it's fascinating. And um, even places have fl- very fluid identities over time.
0: It seems it seems um, though that naming and the act of naming can also be an act of possession and we, we come to that idea of, of Australian naming Australia naming something as Australian um, is, is problematic and complicated and it, it, it seems almost shamefully in Australia it becomes a, a case of to, to paraphrase the, the, the idea of art. I, um, I don't know what art is but I know it when I see it and um, and that becomes another means of, of exile and exclusion because it's easy to then say, well, that's un-Australian, that absolutely horrid term that gets pulled out whenever uh, someone wants to delegitimize another person in this country, you get accused of being un-Australian. It's a very, yeah, as you say, it's a very complicated, it's a very fluid thing, but I think it's a, a discussion in the country that needs to be more sophisticated and it needs to embrace... More voices.
1: I suppose the reason why it's, uh, you know, what, it, it's such a complicated subject and, th- and that's why, I mean, if you ask me why I write, it's probably wrestling with those, with those questions mm. as to, uh, you know, whether, who we are as a nation, are we inclusive, uh, what makes an Australian. And, uh, you know, sometimes when I look at the history of Australian literature, I wonder why most other writers haven't asked themselves. Uh, if they were writing a migrant story or not.
0: Mm. My last for, instance, oh, for, in,
1: for instance, when I go to literary festivals, I'm often asked the migrant question. That's what I found after writing The Burning Elephant. I'd sit on panels and, and you know, I'd often be put with other brown writers or or other writers from overseas and asked migrant questions about Australia. And yet I would never see any white Australian writers being asked that question, even, you know, and so, and that has been up until even just the last few weeks. I haven't seen other white Australian writers being, you know, being placed in literary festivals and asked about the migrant experience, what it's like to be an outsider. I don't see them necessarily, you know, feeling like outsiders in the way that, say, newer writers um, with brown skin uh, feel.
0: Now, my last question. I feel like we've actually covered some of this ground, but I am very interested in in your work as a writer. And I, I mentioned to you that I'd I'd got a copy of the Burning Elephant just just yesterday before we had this conversation, and I've read the first chapter. I'm I'm very interested in in your broader work, and in in Into the Suburbs, you describe discovering a passion for books discovering this love you have and this, this need that you have to explore it and also the tension um, that you have with your father around whether this is a worthy and a stable future. Um, and, and so much of the story is around why your parents decided to move to Australia and what they wanted to provide for you. I wondered how this story of discovery, exile, how formative it was in your writing and in your art.
1: Well, both my mother and father, as I said earlier, were teachers, and so they introduced me to books from a very young age and and libraries. And and of course, growing up in Calcutta, we didn't have you know all the television that we have nowadays. Even in Calcutta, you know, Rupert Murdoch and all these people have just sort of taken over the airwaves there. So growing up, it was a much more cultured, uh, quieter, slower experience. So we, you know, I, I was, I was fed. Um, my imagination was fed with books and uh, comics and and stories, and of course the oral tradition. You know, I'd sit with my grandmother and and my mom and my aunts and uncles, and they would just tell me stories, and and so, so that, so that made me. That I think that makes you a writer. I think when you love stories so much as I do, uh, and 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 then you're wrestling with all these questions of identity and 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 who we are and and living and living as a stranger in a strange land, uh, you inevitably pick up a pen and paper and start doodling.
0: Do you, as a creator and as a creator of a of a work that is about your own life, were you ever confronted? with who that other Christopher Raja might have been who, who was being pushed towards banking or finance or um, was it industrial relations? Did you ever imagine an alternate world?
1: Well, at the moment, we seem to be living in an alternative world, which is COVID. And uh, more and more as I get older, uh, I, I think, I, think I, I want to help other people that are less fortunate. And you know, writing is a consuming task; it's a time-consuming task, and I enjoy it very much. And it helps me, and I, and I hope it helps others that connect with my work. I want a broad readership, but I also want to help others, uh, you know, in, in any way that we can. Um, as 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 I feel our country and and country, you know, people in our country are going to are doing it tough, you know, losing their jobs, losing their livelihood, uh, being separated from children, uh, fathers being separated from children, mothers. Uh, you know, finding it finding it hard in terms of you know providing meals. Uh, you know, all sorts of things are happening now, which uh, which you know we didn't have to take we took for granted. And more and more, I'm hearing of people tell me how tough they're doing it. And, and uh, so, in terms of what I would like to do in an alternative universe, I feel like we are actually experiencing an alternative universe. And I would like to help.
0: Thank you. I was. And all I wanted to do there was just emphasize this, this creative impulse. And I worry though that in, in COVID times, it is also something that people and, and broadly we take for granted that creators will always create that the, the impulse is, is not something that can be pushed away because. I think that can make it too easy and I think we have seen this in some of the responses to the COVID pandemic that somehow the arts don't need the same level of support and that creators are going to simply just keep creating no matter what, no matter what and while that may be true, while the creative impulse may be impossible to ignore, that doesn't mean we we shouldn't be supporting um, artists, and I might use that as a moment, Chris. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reintroduce that we are talking about your book into the suburbs, uh, which people can go and get and and support you.
1: <laughs> well, every every project, thank you, Andrew. every project is different, and and you know, I received an Australia Council grant to help me uh, write the Burning Elephant. I then received another Australia Council grant to work on another book uh, which remains unfinished and I am working on it right now Uh, because the other book, while I was working on it, um, I got sidetracked and I got sidetracked because I got sidetracked writing Into the Suburbs and it just came very quickly and as I was saying earlier, I changed it from writing a work of fiction to this memoir and, and Into the Suburbs then just had a life of its own. It just sort of burst into my life and, and took over. I love
0: and, I love uh, those so, stories.
1: <laughs> yeah, like it wasn't the book I was actually working on. Uh, so, I, yeah, so I've been working. I'm, I'm actually working. I'm, I'm back to working on the. I'm back to working on the book that I was supposed to be working on uh, while I was riding into the suburbs.
0: I, I I love those stories. You you know you're talking to a writer when they say, "Oh yes, I started procrastinating and wrote a different book to the one I was supposed to be writing." <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. Yeah. That is good to know that there is something more to look forward to. And and again, I will I will just mention I am speaking with Christopher Raja, and we are discussing "Into the Suburbs," a migrant's story. And we were just there; we were discussing the importance of the arts, and. I don't I don't think the listeners need reminding this uh Chris but the arts have been so important for people during the time of covid during this time where so many of us have been been left to our own devices and for everyone who is enjoying the arts it is important to support the arts um and you're doing that by listening to, to Chris and I discuss his book on Final Draft. But get out, order from your favourite bookshops. Some of them are still delivering, um, you know, support local business and support local authors. Chris, thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant to chat.
1: And Andrew, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And yes, definitely support uh, local bookshops and uh, local writers uh, who are really
0: struggling at uh, this time, like so many others. That's it for this Great Conversation with Christopher Raja. Christopher's new novel is Into the Suburbs and it's out now through University of Queensland Press. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture where you can just find us on the Twitters, the Instagrams, even the Facebooks. You can look for at Final Draft 2SER. And if you click subscribe in your podcast app, there'll be a new great conversation for you every week. My name is Andrew Popel and I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Happy reading.